Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So, Garrett, you were recently a witness to an exciting bicycle race. Yes. So picture this. Eight cyclists in sleek, colorful spandex. Some are warming up, dialed in with headphones shutting out the noise around them. Some are conferring in low whispers with their coaches. As the start approaches, they settle into their seats and clip into their pedals. And then the gun goes off, and the cyclists start pedaling furiously. Spectators are cheering, but the riders aren't going anywhere because they're on stationary bikes. This race is being held on Zwift, which is somewhere between a video game and a home workout system. So I'm here in Soho in New York City at the Zwift Super League event. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight riders live on stage. You can kind of hear them in the background there. And this is you at a recent Zwift competition. What was it like? Well, we were in a whitewashed room in a basement in the Lower East Side of Manhattan with about 100 other people packed in. A few journalists, tech investors, and a bunch of cycling enthusiasts. Up on a big screen is the virtual course. It's kind of funny because the course they're racing on is actually set in New York, or a very futuristic version of New York. A bunch of skyscrapers that don't exist right now and elevated glass highways, but still doing a couple loops through Central Park. So in a world of Peloton success and the ubiquity of SoulCycle Studios, I guess nothing should surprise us, but it is a little odd to think of spectators gathering to watch racers cycle on their stationary bikes. Of course, a lot of people used to think the idea of watching anyone play video games was crazy. I think the comparison to video games and esports is a really apt one. You know, esports tournaments now fill huge stadiums. They get broadcast on ESPN. Players sign multi-million dollar sponsorship contracts. Now, Zwift is still very niche, but... One day, it thinks its stationary cycling competitions will become so popular that people will pay to watch them. This week, Garrett explores the curious world of Zwift. Not only does he spend an afternoon in a sweaty room watching racers furiously pedal to nowhere, but he spends a month trialing the technology himself. By fusing video games with exercise, Zwift is pushing the limits of what the sport of cycling could actually be. I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Garrett DeVink. And you're listening to Decrypted. Hello, it's February 22nd, and I'm going to set up Zwift on my bike so I can train inside my apartment and never have to go outside. I'm based in New York, which is pretty cold in the winters. So I decided to use Zwift to get rid of bad weather as an excuse not to train. That's how most people use Zwift. They sign up for a $15 a month subscription and train at home. First things first, we're going to put the bike onto the trainer. I had to go to the bike store and get a very fancy axle to fit my bike and fit the trainer without damaging the bike. So again... 
Garrett, I think you need to walk us through this strange pastime some more. So you're doing this in the middle of your living room? Exactly. Well, I mean, so first I have to have a bike, which I already had, a normal bike you can use outside. I hooked it up to something called a trainer. Essentially, it's this heavy metal roller that attaches to the back wheel. It puts friction on that wheel, kind of simulating the resistance that you'd usually get from the road. Okay, I think I've set it up here where it's nice and tight, but, you know, the last thing I want to do is bend my carbon fiber frame here, which, again, my bike... Once I had attached the trainer, I added a speed sensor. It's this little sensor about the size of a coin. It measures how fast your wheel is spinning, so it can transfer that into the game. But there's nothing that's new about these devices that turn your bike into a stationary bike, right? You're right. Cyclists have been training indoors for years. The racing crowd with a difference. The races they've come to watch are the sort that get you nowhere. The excitement mounts as the first item is announced. This clip is from the 1940s, covering something called roller racing, where the bike is mounted on top of a series of rollers. Today, the more common design is to fix your rear wheel to a single roller, but it's pretty much the same idea. Cycling has been a big sport in Europe for some time, and now it's growing in popularity in the U.S. as well. And as more people get into competitive cycling, training indoors has become a bigger part of the sport. Okay, so where did Zwift come from? Essentially, a couple of startup guys, John Mayfield and Eric Min, they got bored of staring at the wall while training at home on their own bikes. So in 2013, they got together and started building a video game so they could watch their avatars racing on a computer or TV screen while they biked. That's what became Zwift. The faster you bike in real life, the faster your avatar goes. It's got this social component too. You can see other people doing laps around you. You can see how hard the other riders are pushing, where they're from, their stats. Getting past doesn't feel too good. I mean, the people around me, they're not like, I'm not getting past like crazy. I feel like I'm at a pretty average pace here. Uh, someone just saying P-Rec zoomed past me, kind of contradicting that. But I'm riding with a few other people, just past the Brazilian. So once you started training, what was it like? It can get pretty intense. You don't have any of the distractions of being outside. It's just you and the bike. So you can push yourself pretty hard. The routes are all pretty impressive. They're trying to give you something to look at. So you're cycling up these beautiful mountains, through coastal towns, even in underwater tunnels. So normal cycling, I think, has a bit of a reputation of being expensive. But this virtual version doesn't seem cheap either. Just to get started, you needed a bike plus all the accessories that you talked about. It's definitely not a cheap hobby, is it? Right. I already had the bike, so I didn't have to pay for that. But I had to get a trainer, which I got secondhand for about 50 bucks, and a speed sensor, which set me back another 60. Although if I wanted to, I could have pushed all of that to more than $1,000 if I wanted to get one of the fancier setups. And that's not counting for all the stuff that, you know, you want to buy once you start biking. And in the future, they could do a lot of in-game content, such as, you know, buying special jerseys or special bikes to show off in the game. So in other words, just like kids are spending hundreds of dollars to look cool in video games like Fortnite, grown adults could be doing the same thing to show off in front of their virtual training partners. Yep. That in-game content is a huge potential revenue stream. So what are some of the other ways that Zwift makes money from this? So there's the monthly subscription we talked about. That's 15 bucks a month. 
Then there's the money they could make if they put up billboards within the game itself. They're not really doing that yet, but I did talk to the CEO and he says it's in the works. Cyclists are generally a pretty wealthy group of people, so advertisers want to reach them. It doesn't sound like a bad business. Investors have already poured quite a bit of money into the company. Zwift recently raised $120 million, valuing the company at around $600 million. And the company says more than a million people have tried it out. At peak times, 10,000 riders are on the Zwift universe at the same time. And we should say fitness startups are hot right now, like Peloton, which sells a $2,000 stationary bike and then charges you another $40 a month to stream exercise classes. And Peloton is aiming to go public this year at a potential valuation of $8 billion. But when Zwift went to raise money, they didn't just pitch themselves as an exercise company or a fitness startup. They wanted to be part of the $1 billion and growing esports industry as well. And that's where these big competitions come in, the, the kind that we heard about at the start of the show. Yeah, the league started popping up as soon as people started racing each other on the platform. But now Zwift is trying to professionalize it, bringing those leagues into its system and turn that into another source of revenue. More on that after the break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. To learn more about the Zwift competitions, I decided to actually attend one myself in New York City, the one we heard at the start. I wanted to match my quirky home workout experience with this big picture potential for Zwift to be a cultural phenomenon. Garrett, I'm really hoping you were one of the eight cyclists up on stage. I definitely was not. I am not that fast. These guys are all people who are either current professionals or, you know, almost made it into the pros and sort of working their way back up into it through Zwift. We had the real-life racers, but there were also about 50 cyclists beaming in virtually from around the world. There was this big screen showing the virtual racers. The crowd didn't really seem to know where they should be watching, whether the big screen or the guys actually sweating it out in front of them. I'm kind of imagining these big coliseums that you usually find in Asia where people gather to watch a League of Legends or StarCraft. So was it a little bit like that? Yeah, it kind of felt like that. It felt maybe sort of as the version 1.0 of what that could be or what it could look like. I talked to one of the racers. His name is Adam Zimmerman. He's been making waves in Zwift lately. So last year, he won this race among all the top American amateur Zwift users, which got him a spot in this brand new pro league. Tell us more about that. Well, it began this year and it has real pro teams from Europe competing in it. So, you know, they're serious. Adam's a really good cyclist. He tried to actually go professional as a road cyclist, but never quite made it. So Zwift is a bit of a second chance for him. He was at the race I went to, and he said he thinks Zwift is building mass appeal for spectators as well as regular users like me. The, the best analogy I can make is um, online dating. When it, when it first started becoming popular in the early 2000s, uh, it wasn't socially acceptable for, for people to meet online. And now, over time, people have gotten used to that, and now it's not a big deal. He also explained why, as an athlete, you might actually want to compete in it. 
If they did like give me a pro contract to race esports, I would do that um, because of the ease of convenience. I can travel to an event like this, but for the most part, I can race out of my living room, spend time with my wife and my pups, and have my family around, and not have to live out of a suitcase like um, in real life professionals. So Zwift lets Adam be a professional athlete as well as a guy who works from home. Exactly. Zwift is betting that if high-profile cyclists start competing, like people who are professional athletes who already compete in the big traditional road races. It will pull regular people like me to pay $15 a month to subscribe and use it at home. Kind of, if it's good enough for them, it's got to be good for me. I would imagine, though, that the cycling traditionalists may look at this a little bit skeptically. Has Zwift actually been able to attract high-profile cyclists? I mean, they have pulled in some of those professional teams from Europe. These aren't necessarily names that you know a regular person who only knows three or four cyclists in the world would know, but they are real professional cyclists. And kind of surprisingly, some cyclists might even be able to make more money racing on Zwift than in some of the most prestigious real-life cycling races, especially women. For example, Zwift held a tournament last year at the same time as the Tour de Flanders, which is one of the big road cycling races in Europe. The woman who won the Zwift race made $7,800, while the real-world professional just took home 1400 I have so many questions about this, Garrett. So first of all, where, where does the prize money come from? Some of the leagues, you know, offer sponsorships. Zwift right now puts up the money for itself, but you could obviously see any kind of thing that works in real world sports working here. And Zwift, as you've described it, they're simulating these these incredible race courses with hills and mountains and tunnels. So how are, how are they simulating the climbs? So the actual trainer, that, that piece of machinery that you hook your bike into, it can communicate with the software. And what it will do is when it senses you're about to go up a big hill, it will add resistance. So it just becomes a lot harder to actually get the same power out of your bike. How are the cyclists comparing the simulated experience to the real thing? Of course, it's it's different. And, you know, I had some interesting conversations with some of them because in a in a real world race, there is a certain element of technical skill, you know, how fast can you go down a hill without flying off the road? Can you dodge around some of your competitors without falling over or knocking one of them over? So, of course, this is very different. But when you look at the, the way the technology is developing, some of the trainers are actually starting to, you know, move around, you know, simulate inclines by actually pushing the front of the bike up. And some of the conversations I was having just casually when I was at this event, people were sort of speculating about what the future could look like. And maybe at some point, you know, you'll have VR, AR, some kind of special suit that makes it actually feel like you're on a real bike it might become indistinguishable from actually being outside. So what do the old school cyclists think about this? Are they, are they excited about what it means for the sport? I mean, opinions are pretty split when it comes to this, but there are some people in the sport who think that it needs a bit of a reset. I chatted with Kristen Armstrong, who's won cycling gold medals for the U.S. at three different Olympics. She's one of the most decorated U.S. cyclists in history. When you think about a sport like the Super Bowl, or you think about the gaming that's going on virtually and all of the different fans and all of the views and all the eyes on that, cycling doesn't have it. They don't have it. They have it at the Tour de France. 
those numbers have gone down, and they definitely don't have it in, in the women's cycling. And so a lot of times the women's cycling is a sideshow of the men, and I think one of the most important things is that it doesn't have a lot of money. It, it, it doesn't have the viewership. It doesn't have the TV time that a lot of the, the larger, I call them ball sports, have in America. And so it's really hard to compete against that. And so I think that, um, that the eSport platform can really reset that. Like Kristen said, cycling isn't particularly lucrative for most athletes. Whereas eSports is already a billion-dollar business. Exactly. Now, I also talked to Zwift CEO Eric Min at the race that I was at. Now, he really believes that Zwift has the potential to become a real spectator sport, just like eSports. It's, it's no secret that it's very difficult to commercialize professional cycling. But, you know, putting in on a, a new platform like this... Um, that is more attuned to the changing uh, audience. Um, I think there's a real opportunity for us to commercialize it. Uh, certainly the cost of putting on a Zwift event is far cheaper, far, far more cost-effective than closing down roads of major cities. Or, so I think there are lots of opportunities around uh, selling tickets, arena. Garrett, you have a pretty finely tuned filter for startup spin. Uh, when you hear Eric Min talk like this, um, do you believe him? He seemed pretty excited about it. He told me Envision stationary cycling becoming an Olympic sport sometime in the future. So, of course, I'm skeptical. That might be a bit of a stretch. But at the very least, he says cycling is ready for a serious shakeup. I think of cycling sometimes as like cricket. It is very difficult to explain to someone what is actually going on. Um, so we need to experiment with formats where someone can just drop in and know exactly who's winning and who's not winning. So Eric is experimenting with new formats for races. Like, a lot of traditional road cycling races in Europe are pretty long. They take place over many days, and for the uninitiated, it can be hard to follow. So is he changing any minds in the traditional cycling world? Well, he definitely is when it comes to training, at least. A few really high-profile professional cyclists are singing the praises of Zwift. Like Matt Heyman, he is a serious legend who just retired from pro cycling. In 2016, he won the Paris-Roubaix, which is one of the most important races in cycling. It's this brutal 260-kilometer one-day race with some stretches on cobblestone roads. Now, Matt won the race just six weeks after breaking his arm in a crash. He trained on Zwift because he wasn't supposed to be outside. Well, I used to be a traditionalist, and I used to say you don't train indoors. But, you know, the last two, two, three years, it's really changed my way. I mean, there was a point there when my arm was actually healed, and I told my coach, I'm actually getting more quality work done. I'm being more effective, time effective and and efficient. Um, And now being retired is the flip side, you know. I've got a family. I've got... I can't go out for four or five hours on my bike. So, you know, it's... it. you know, it really did change change that whole indoor trainer thing. It used to just be a, a you know, a stopgap when when you couldn't find it, uh, you couldn't get out because it was raining. And now it is actually not only are people racing on it, but it is a really uh, a great way to train. But for now, it will be going too far to say that the pro cycling world is intimidated. For most people, Zwift is still a training platform, not a race. So, Garrett, how is your personal Zwift training going? It's been going okay. It's been pretty fun. I ordered a bunch of white towels so I can mop up the sweat from uh, my floor and from my bike, which I didn't have to do before. 
I did run into one problem, though. What, what was that? My downstairs neighbor kept texting me asking what the noise was. She thought there was an earthquake going on. <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny. And how about as a spectator? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'll tune in to the Tour de France every, every now and then. Um, and one of the things that I like about it is the unpredictability, the, the crashes, the near misses, the incredible feats of endurance that play out over the course of weeks. And these are things that Zwift doesn't or can't replicate. I think it's very similar to esports in this, that when you watch an esport going on and you don't actually know how to play the game or play the game yourself, for me at least, it's extremely boring. But once you've actually played that game, you know how challenging some of the things are that the players are pulling off, you start to kind of get hooked. And so cycling is all about wattage, how much energy you can produce with your legs, how much power you can put out into the bike. And when you're watching a Zwift race on your computer, you can see what all the athletes are producing and kind of compare it to what you, you know, measly human are capable of doing. And it's pretty impressive to see what they can do. So if Zwift was to prove the viability of the sport and the and to quiet the skeptics, do you think they'll have this course to themselves? I mean, what is to stop, say, a Peloton from getting into this? That's a great question. I mean, I think you probably see some people who get really fit on their Peloton bikes maybe jumping in and competing on Zwift. But what the market that they have really dialed into is that that kind of person who is into cycling, that that person who has their own bike, likes to ride outside in the summer, maybe gets kind of nerdy about the Tour de France. And a lot of people who go on Peloton are just, you know, they don't know much about cycling. They probably don't even have a bike that they want to ride outside. They just want to get fit. Uh, do you find yourself cycling outside less? I mean, the whole reason I wanted to try this out was so that I wouldn't have to cycle outside in the dead of winter. You know, sometimes it's just me being a baby and I don't want to be cold. And sometimes there's actually inches of snow in the park where I usually ride. But now that spring is coming, I'm finding myself being called to be outside again. So first big bike ride of the season. I'm outside. I'm in Prospect Park. Blossoms are everywhere. People are biking, people are running. It's just great to be outside. I'm still getting past though. There's some fast guys out here. And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. Have you tried Zwift or watched esports? You can write to us at decrypted at Bloomberg.net. Or I'm on Twitter at G-E-R-R-I-T-D. And I'm at Brad Stone. And please help us spread the word about our show by leaving us a rating or a review wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This episode was produced by Pia Kutkari and Lindsay Cradwell. Our story editor was Aki Ito. Thank you also to Anne Vandermey and Emily Buso. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.